0: Tonight we'll discover seeing the light, looking at the New Testament book of Acts, where we will be in chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 22. I'll give us our first reading coming out of the English Standard Version. I'll then invite one of you to read from whatever translation you have before you. And then after we've read it a couple times, we first want to retell it, just summing it up in your own words, what is Acts chapter 9 describing for us here? Then we want to discuss, what were some of the details that really stood out to you? Some of those may have been things that I brought up as I preached on this same passage this morning. Some of them may have been things that you and your family have talked about as you thought about this passage throughout the day today. Some of them may hit you right now, just as we read it together. Just what are some of those details that really stood out to you? And then we want to spend our time together answering four questions. What does this tell us about God? What does it tell us about people? Critically, how will we personally, Put this into practice. As we see Saul, as we see Ananias being responsive to the word of Christ, how will we respond to the word as we receive it here? And then who needs this that we're going to tell? Saul came out of the waters of baptism and within days was telling people, Jesus is the Son of God. No excuse in the world why we can't do the same. So, as we read this together, we want to get our minds rolling with what might be places, what might be situations, who might be people, where there's something from this that we know there's something we could share to show them Jesus as we start this new week. Acts chapter 9, beginning with the first verse. This is the English Standard Version. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting." But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them down before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength, and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Who'd be willing to give us a second reading of that same passage? Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 22. Lance, thank you. Which translation? New King James. Then Paul, still reading threats and murder, against the disciples of the Lord, which
1: is I preached, and asked letters from him to the synagogue of so that he found any who were of the way, with an inner wind, and a to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light showed around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground, and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise, and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him the speeches, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand, and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Your am Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise, and go to the street called Stray, and inquire at the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is brave. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him, so that he might perceive his sight. Then Ananias answered. laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me, that you may receive your sight, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like a scale, and he received his sight at once, and he arose with that. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at the masses. Immediately he preached to Christ in the synagogue, that he is some God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? And he's coming here for that purpose, so that he might break the bounds and cheaper. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews dwelt in masses, proving that this Jesus is the Christ.
0: Thank you very much. So now we've got to hear it a couple of different times now. So, how would we sum this up? In your own words, if you had to retell somebody, if you were telling your children this story, if you were talking to a coworker at the water cooler tomorrow and you wanted to sum up what we studied today, what's this passage about? What does this tell you? Gwen, get us started. Yes. So Saul was fully convinced that all of these Jewish folks that were saying Jesus was the Messiah and following him were heretics. They were breaking the law. They were going against what God said, and they needed to be stopped, and they needed to be punished. And then Jesus appeared to him, And all of a sudden, he was confronted with the fact he was wrong. So he's blinded, gets brought into the city, gets told to wait, and a disciple named Ananias gets sent to him. Was Ananias ready right away to go talk to Saul? No. What was he concerned about? Yeah. What he had been doing, what he was literally there to do. And how did Jesus convince him? He's already, like, and it helps. Ananias is already somebody that wants to do what the Lord says. When the Lord speaks to him and he says, Here I am, that already shows us this is somebody that wants to obey the Lord. But how did Jesus help Ananias gain the confidence to go do what he was asking him to do? Yeah. Jesus told that he Yeah. That's the reason he wanted to go to Yeah. That's key. I tried to bring that out some this morning and I want to really highlight that now again too to make sure we understand it. Jesus is convincing Ananias was not saying, oh, Saul's not that bad. No, he was. No, nope, very much so. Jesus is convincing Ananias was, I have chosen him. It was about Jesus' purpose for Saul's life. So Ananias made a choice To trust Jesus. It affected how he approached Saul. I don't think under other circumstances he'd be walking in and going, Hey, brother! But Ananias made a choice to trust Jesus. How he saw Saul's life going. Who he wanted Saul to be. And Ananias made that his vision. And it changed everything. So Saul immediately does what? He gets healed. He's able to see. He gets baptized. And then he eats. He's been fasting and praying for three days and nights. So now he's ready to have a good meal. And then what does he do? Hangs out with other disciples. The same people he was coming to arrest, he's hanging out with. And then he starts speaking up. We're talking days, weeks, and he starts saying, Jesus is the son of God. And then he's getting stronger and stronger as he do it, so he starts making these really compelling arguments, because dude knew scripture. Like, this is a guy that knew all about scripture, this was a guy that had been trained by the best as a rabbi. So he starts, he starts with this immediately, saying Jesus is the son of God, but the stronger he gets, the more that he's just making these arguments that nobody can disagree with. Pretty incredible change in one person's life, right? So, what are some details, as we've considered this today, that stand out to you from this? Things that you think are worth discussing?
2: Well, one thing I want to over here, and thought about is those three days. I'm not sure what point the Lord hears and I, but Paul goes for those three days, right? Mm Mm-hmm.
0: And there's an important connection that Larry's drawing out here that you're going to see a few times now, as soon as next week even. Whenever there are people that are reaching the point where they are seeking the Lord, he demonstrates this incredible responsiveness of sending people to them so that they're able to do what they want to do. See, sometimes we chop these stories off too soon. See, sometimes we have folks that say, oh, well, just pray to the Lord, and then you're good. Well, we know that's not right. But then we respond and we say, well, no, that can't be right because there's these other passages that say the Lord doesn't listen to sinners. But then we read stuff like Saul here in Acts 9, and we read stuff like Cornelius that we're going to get to in Acts 10, and we're like, oh, but that doesn't really fit the way we like to talk about it, so how are we going to do it? You're reading too small. You've got to look bigger. And the bigger picture is Whenever someone is seeking the Lord, the Lord makes sure someone is sent to them so that they know what they need to do. And when they are told what they need to do, what do they do? They do it immediately. Saul immediately was baptized, Cornelius and his household immediately are baptized. So we try to draw these lines between well at what point are you saved and at what point does God listen to your prayers and at what point. None of that is the way scripture ever describes it. That's all stuff we do to the text. If we step back and just see what what God is saying we see here a God that wants to save us and whenever people are seeking him he provides exactly what is needed so that that can happen. That's who God is. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And so Saul made that choice. It meant giving up all sorts of stuff and standing and confidence that he had had in life. And he would say, 30 years later, absolutely worth it. Other things that stand out to us from this particular passage...
3: about mm-hmm. um, who Jesus was. Um, and he fought against those convictions, the priest, that um, you know Jesus made before. Him. But also when he stayed with the disciple, I think when you look at verse two and um, the purpose why he was going there find those that were sent. Mine says this way. Yeah. Um, D-Way.
0: Yeah: And a point Julia draws out here that I also wanted to be sure to emphasize, notice here that the word "Christian" isn't used, because the word "Christian hasn't been spoken yet. We're still two chapters away, probably five to 10 years in terms of timeline, before that word even gets spoken by anybody. So at this point, if you were a follower of Jesus, one, you were Jewish, maybe a Samaritan at this point, but you were by and large Jewish, and you were referred to as a disciple. A completely devoted follower of Jesus, or you refer to as belonging to the way. Jesus is, and throughout Acts, you see this a few different times, those belonging to the way. So there's more going on here then Saul realized it probably seemed pretty clear to him. And he says that in some of his later recollections and acts when he tells this story himself. He references it in some of the letters that he writes where he was really sure that these folks were false teachers and he needed to do everything he could to stamp them out. But it was all based on the idea that Jesus hadn't actually risen. And as soon as he was confronted with the fact that Jesus is alive, he had to rethink everything. And all of that knowledge and all of that training he had, it would be put to incredible use, but not the use he thought it would be. Christine, what did you have for us? What is the way these two men Yeah. Saul says, Who are you? And says, Here I am, Yeah, what an interesting point. Yeah. And he clearly understood it was divine. And as I alluded to, there's enough similarities here that I just can't imagine the spirit did it by accident. But if you look like back to the Old Testament in Ezekiel, you know, you've got the the wheel within the wheels and this amazing chariot that appears, you know, to Ezekiel as he's there in exile. And towards the end of the chapter, the likeness of the glory of God is described as being incredibly bright and a voice speaks and Ezekiel falls down and there's just so much similarity here that it was undeniable for Saul that I'm having a God experience right now. What shocked him was that, and his name is Jesus. That was not the part he was expecting. Saul very much wanted to serve and please God. He never imagined Jesus was there with him. He had heard that heretic Stephen say, oh, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, and he was furious. But no, wait, he actually is. This blinding light, this divine voice, this Ezekiel-like experience, Jesus was not who he thought he was. And experiencing that changed everything. Other details that stood out to us. Jay, Jay.
1: Yeah. now it makes sense. I'd
0: just like to hear what he was telling me. Yeah. Because those people weren't. They knew the scriptures too. But he was reproving in them. Yeah. As Jesus. Still feel to hear his call. Well, so here's the good news. Flip over to Acts 13 when he goes into a synagogue during his first missionary journey. And that's the kind of stuff he was preaching. Read through some of the letters that he wrote. Some of what he says about God's promises to Abraham being fulfilled by Jesus in Galatians. Some of the things that he says about faith and how it ultimately led to Jesus in Romans. And you can see exactly what it was he was saying. Because we have it right there. And the point that I can't help myself but to make as we draw it out here. The message is Jesus. We want to make the message other things. We talk a lot about what we should be saying. But if you look at what the apostles of Jesus Christ taught, what Jesus charged them in Acts chapter 1 to say, be witnesses of me. And then if you go through every sermon they preach, whether it was to a Jewish audience where there's tons of scripture being quoted, whether it was to a pagan Gentile audience in the middle of a city full of idols where they didn't quote a single scripture, but in every case... They always preached Jesus. He's the message. He's the focus. He's the vision. Saul had a lot of knowledge of the Bible. And he was dead wrong. Because he didn't have Jesus. And then once he got Jesus, it did all make sense. One of the other interesting things to me too, just as this ties into scripture, when Ananias responds, here am I, Lord, he's stepping into this wonderful rich history throughout the whole Bible. I referenced in the article this morning when Samuel as a little boy was called, and that's what Eli teaches him to say, respond that way. Isaiah responds that way when he experiences prophetic call. So whenever Ananias says that, it's not just Ananias said it. He's part of this long history of faithful people responding when God's word comes to them. Likewise, whenever Jesus says, I've chosen him to be my instrument to the Gentiles and to kings and to the children of Israel, that's what the rest of the book of Acts is going to be about. Because once Saul becomes Paul and is the main focus in terms of his activities throughout the rest of the book, that's exactly what he does. He goes into cities and he preaches in the synagogue until they get tired of hearing him and then he's going to preach to the Gentiles until he gets arrested and then he appears before who? King Agrippa at Acts chapter 26, which is where the statement, it's hard for you to kick against the goats actually originated. When he was preaching to him, that was when that was first said. And some of the copies of the manuscripts, we like to lift that from there and smush them together to make it all fit. But in the oldest manuscripts, it was the more streamlined version. But that was something that he said. Because in Acts 26, it's there that he said that. And isn't that fitting? Because King Agrippa was going to have to kick against some goats. But you see this sort of thing where what Jesus is foreseeing for him is exactly what the rest of the book of Acts shows us, which is amazing, but an important human element with that. The rest of the book of Acts covers like 30 years. There was a long time between Jesus saying this and Paul and anybody else actually seeing it. But that's part of vision. Sometimes we feel like, well, it's got to be this way now. But it wasn't. There was a good decade where we don't really know what Saul was doing. He had a little bit of time where he went to Arabia. He tells us that in Galatians. He had a visit to Jerusalem. At some point he ends up back in his hometown of Tarsus. And we just don't hear from him until Barnabas goes to get him to bring him to Antioch. Then we've got the missionary journeys and the preaching of the Jews and the Gentiles happens, but he hasn't said anything to any kings anywhere. But then he gets arrested. And somehow by being arrested, now he gets a chance that he's speaking to kings. And after Acts ends, we believe he probably even got to testify before Caesar. So exactly what Jesus said would happen, happened. But it was over a much longer time frame than most of us would be willing never to consider. If it's not done in two to three years, it's not real to us. But it took a while. But what Jesus said happened, happened. Because Paul faithfully sought him and served him. What do we learn about God as we look at this? What are some things that we can tell about God in the next chapter? I think so, they know that last our
1: vision is often, especially this day and in time, instant, instant, instant God's vision.
0: Yeah. yeah. Great point, Lance. Thank you, Laney.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we've got this reality of God choosing, like He chose. Paul, Saul. We've also got this reality, and it's tied into part of how you said that too, Lainey, that I think is interesting. When you persecute followers of Jesus, for Jesus it's the same as persecuting him. So it's almost like the inverse of when he said, Whatever you do for the least of these, you did for me. This is like the negative version of that. Like, As far as we know, Saul had never had an earthly reaction with Jesus before this. But by virtue of how he was treating Jesus' people, he was doing it to Jesus. That's how seriously Jesus takes our identity as part of his body. What happens to us is like it's happening to him. That's how he sees it. I think there's just something powerful to know that Jesus sees us that way. He sees us as an extension of himself. That the hard things we go through, he takes it personal. And just something very loving and gracious that he's willing to extend that to us. How about the point that Nick brought up for us from Jonah? When Jesus first starts speaking to Saul, how did he do it, Nick? You only had 35 minutes notice. (laughs) When he started him off with a question. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? That's how God speaks to us. Right? So he was taking personally how Saul was persecuting his people. But when Jesus speaks to him, he asks him a question. He engages him in a conversation. And how does Saul respond? <clears throat> who are you, Lord? He could tell it's Lord. Like he could tell this is somebody that's divine. He had no idea this was Jesus. So Jesus speaks to him. They get into a conversation. That's how God relates to us. I mean, he could have struck him with lightning on the road to Damascus. That's how some of us act like God behaves, but that's not who he is. And Jesus shows us. And part of Jay's point about how all of scripture makes sense, we can see that Jesus is that way, and we're like, oh, well, but that's Jesus, he's all love and grace. Except God did the same thing with Jonah hundreds of years before. This is who God is. When we look at Jesus, we see God more clearly. And the way that he chooses to relate to us, he wants to talk. He wants to ask us questions. He wants to convince us. He doesn't want to make us. He wants us to choose. So he's going to approach us that way to get us into that space. That's how much God loves us. It's incredible. Other things that we see about God from this passage, Lance. God has many servants out there, ready to
1: help. Yeah. Sometimes we think we're alone, and somebody else should do it. Guess what? A lot of times we need to look
0: here. I need to be God's servant. I need to be a husband. Here I am, Lord. And part of it is recognizing when we hear the word of the Lord. You see, I think we like to make this excuse that unless we hear like Morgan Freeman's voice in the middle of the night saying, go do this. Like, well, God doesn't speak to us that way. But if you know God's word, if you have put on Christ in baptism and the Holy Spirit dwells in your heart through faith, there are going to be times where God is calling you to do stuff. The question is not whether or not he's calling you. The question is whether or not we're listening. Ananias listen. Jay, what were you going to say for us? Saul's life had ended on the road to Damascus. Think of what Christianity as a whole would have lost. As Lance said at the beginning, God sees bigger and better than we do. So part of his learning to trust that. Larry? Thank you, Larry. Christine, were you just drawing my attention to him or did you have something too? Um, I just felt like that God knew that it it wasn't it wasn't going to take a small voice to change Saul's opinion.
3: So instead of zapping in the light of he had to do something you know, equally grandiose. I hate to say that word, but you know
0: something that would really catch his attention. <laughs> and it wasn't wasted. God's grace to him was not in vain, because once he heard, he heard, and he worked harder than any of them, and that's part of what God can work in our lives, so let's use that then to segue into people, what are some things that we learn about people as we look at this passage, Nia, get us started Yeah. So just the ability of Jesus to change our view and relationships with each other. You know, like the way that we see each other can be changed by following Jesus. Gwen. Yeah. Gwen's bringing out an important point here, and there's some theologians and commentators that I think, overemphasize this too much. But I think there's something in it that's worth touching on, and Gwen hit on it in a really beautiful way. So we like to talk about Acts chapter 9 as the conversion of Saul, right? So some theologians and commentators really try to hammer the point, because I think sometimes we think, well, this is when he converted from Judaism to Christianity. But that is factually inaccurate. Like, Saul continues to observe much of the law of Moses throughout his life, he just sees Jesus as being the ultimate fulfillment of it. This is not when he said, oh, hey, I'm going to start eating bacon now. Like, well, eventually he wouldn't be comfortable eating whatever. But this was not converting from Judaism to Christianity. This was recognizing Jesus is the fulfillment of Judaism. Jesus is the one that all of Judaism was pointing But this is still a conversion. This is a conversion from not knowing Jesus to knowing Jesus. And that's a conversion that any of us can relate with. Even if we've been brought up knowing the scripture, sometimes we know the scripture. But Jesus is one of many characters in it. He's not the one who stories that. You know, there's Adam and Eve, and there's Noah, and there's Jonah, and then there's Jesus, and the crucifixion, and Easter, and, and then there's Paul, and he did some stuff too, and that's pretty cool. But that's, that's not the story. Jesus is the focus. And when we as people get Jesus, the rest of it starts to make sense. It starts to change everything else for us. So we all need converting, even one of the most observant Jewish people around. He needed converting, but he wasn't being converted from Judaism to Christianity. He was being converted from trying to serve God without Jesus to serving God with Jesus, through Jesus, which is what Judaism had always been about. And then that's what he was focused on. And you see that all throughout his letters where he hammers that point. No, y'all, you don't need to go try to convince the Gentiles to be Jewish. What you guys were doing as Jews, that was so this could happen, so that through Jesus they could become part of the same family. That was the focus of Scripture, and that's what this conversion accomplished. And many of us will have times in our life where we need converted to Jesus. Not just converted to scripture, not just converted to rules, but converted to Jesus. And then all of a sudden it all starts making a whole lot more sense. Julia, what do you got for us? You see how Jesus makes that possible. All right? The world can't figure that out otherwise. But when you've got Jesus, we can approach people that way. That becomes possible.
2: These new Christians, they love people. They love their Jewish relatives. I would have called it brother too.
0: Mm-hmm. He was a Jewish brother. And as Paul would later write in one of his letters, his heart's desire was that his Brothers would be safer. Absolutely.
1: I think that's another good point that God are important, kings are important, and Jews are important. everybody's important. Everybody's I love everybody. I want everybody to this. And I think sometimes we pick and you know, We're of that than just the door open, walk it, God. I know I've been guilty of pre judgments. Oh, they're, they're not interested. We don't know. We need to say, Here's Jesus. Mm-hmm. What you do now
0: is your, your deal. <laughs> but my deal is at least that you know who Jesus is. That's right. And appreciate, as Lance articulates that so well for us, to build on what Julia said too, following oh. Jesus, sharing Jesus, is scary. It is risky. I was having a call with some guys about planning a trip to India for next year, and I wanted to emphasize for one of them who hadn't been there before, I said, but just to be clear, this can be dangerous. There is a U.S.-based guy that used to go over to India all the time who randomly got bit by a mosquito, got a rare virus, and he died over there. And his church buddy, who had just traveled with him, Now had to figure out how to get his body from India to the U.S. Had to hold the phone for his family to FaceTime with him and tell him bye as he died in an Indian hospital. The risk is real. The risk was real for Billy as he went to where he went down in South America. The risk is real to Philip with the things that he does. So serving Jesus is risky. We've got to get it out of our head that the only way we ever serve Jesus is when we're completely assured of its safety. We've got to get it out of our head that the only time we serve Jesus is when we're positive. We'll get the result that we want. That's not what Jesus calls us to. Jesus has the vision. Jesus has the purpose. Our job is to say, here I am, Lord. And to trust that even if it's through our suffering, like it was through Saul, that if we were going to try to serve the Lord, he was going to be the one that gives it meaning, Not our comfort. Not our goals being achieved, his goals, what he wants done. There's a challenge in that, and that's part of why I think it's so important that we look at passages these way. Because I could see a scenario where we read this and be like, "Oh, well, so do you think people speak to like that Jesus speaks to people the way he spoke to nice anymore?" And then we have a conversation about that, and then we conclude, "Well, no, now we've just got the scripture, so we'll go by like that." Okay, Amen, Hallelujah. So, how are we listening to Jesus? Because we can talk about the mechanics about whether or not there's still supernatural visions, but what I'm interested in is, are we listening to Jesus who still has a purpose for all people, who wants everybody to be saved and who sometimes calls us to do hard, risky, scary things. And sometimes we can't get past what's most convenient, how we've always done it, what we like the best, Listen to Jesus. If we're doing what He wants done, that's going to be what matters. So, how can we put this into practice? How can we regain our sight? How can we see the light? How can we really be learning what this passage is trying to get across for us as we live this week? I will what, Wayne? Get us started. Well, I
2: think we could be more like and
0: yeah, go out and yeah. That's right. I will go share Jesus with people. That's an excellent one. Saul ended up demonstrating that too, right? That's exactly how it's supposed to work. You know, be one, make one, right, Larry? You're a disciple. You go and make a disciple. They go and make disciples. That is how Christianity grows. That is how people are saved. It's been like that from the beginning. Excellent one to start us with, Wayne. Other things that we can do. I will what? Lance. I will continue to try to overcome the anxiety of charity and Thank you. Great addition. Other I will. I will seek God's purpose for my life, for my family, for my career, for my days. I will accept longer time frames than I'm comfortable with. But this is a lifelong process, not a quick fix. Right? That was part of this. What is God's purpose for you, for your life? What does He want to accomplish through you? That's what you spend your life chasing. I will pray and fast to seek God's will. How was Saul's heart in that position so that when Ananias came, he was ready for it? He had spent three days going without so that he could just focus and talk to God. How are we focusing ourselves on what God wants, not just asking him to rubber stamp what we want? See, there's something heartfelt there. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. I will listen to God's word. Excellent Jay, did you have something? Yes, sir. I was going to say one of the things that I think it would be about, you know, you're at but I have this trying to convert people not to Jesus, but to what God believes. Yeah. Excellent point, Jay. So with that in mind, who needs this that you will tell? What could be some situations, some specific people that maybe you can picture you don't have to say their names, but there's ways you think there's something from this you could share and how you might do it? When? Thoughts? How can we do that? What could be some opportunities? Tomorrow morning at 6.15, I'm picking someone up to go to the Y with me. So instead of just like randomly meeting people in the locker room, I'm taking someone with me tomorrow. And I'm really excited. I am thinking that after we are done working out there's this great table right outside the weight room I'm going to take my paper bible and I'm going to sit it down and we're going to spend at least five minutes just reading a passage and say a prayer just as people are going around there I'm just going to try to be out sharing Jesus so what could we do who might be somebody where something from this might really affect them that's mine, what's yours? That wasn't rhetorical. Do you have anybody in your life that's seeking direction? Anybody in your life that's struggling with having a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning? Yeah. And so the greater lesson for them that the And with Saul, it's both, right? Because there's something important to note there. Because what Julie saying is absolutely true. However, I'm not going to go easy on y'all. Okay? So I'm not. I'm just. I'm not. It's not who I am. It's not what God's called me to do. So brace yourselves. Sometimes, some of us use that as an excuse. Well, I don't ever talk to anybody about Jesus, but it shows in my life. It should, but it's not an either or. It's got to be both. People looked at Saul, and they saw someone that had been making havoc, and they saw the change. So that's true. And then they heard him say, Jesus is the Son of God could you say those words to somebody in the next seven days? Is that too high a bar for us to cleave? Can we have somebody that we say, Jesus is the son of God to before the next week's over? Somebody comes up to you tomorrow morning, how was your weekend? You know, we were in church and I just, I got refocused. Jesus is the son of God and that's really what matters most. And you just did it all this anxiety, how they might react. But really, Jesus is the son of God. Can we focus there? Can we make him our vision? Can we value him more than wealth? More than the opinions of people? As the verse of that song that rips me to shreds sang at the beginning of our service. He's our vision. He became that for Saul. He changed the world. Let's see what we can change this week, okay? All right. Which one of you guys didn't have a chance to do anything today? Lance, you didn't have an opportunity, did you? Would you mind praying us out? Because Wayne sang, and Nick led our huddle, and Jay did a prayer, and Larry did the Lord's Supper. And I don't want to put Ronnie on the spot because he doesn't like that, so I want to be considerate of my brother. So Lance, would you mind leading us in prayer? Thank you.
1: Heavenly Father, we do thank you for such a wonderful day. Start off with the bright sunshine and we just appreciate that, Lord, another day of life, another day of health. And we just thank you, Lord, for the time we spent in service this morning, worshiping you, serving you, loving you, loving each other, and learning about you more. And we thank you for the study time tonight. Because we do need a better vision, Lord. We need better ears and better eyes. Same thing they needed in New Testament times. Help us, Lord, this week to refocus our vision our ears to really hear you, listen to you, and follow your directions. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.